What's up? I'm Marquise Francis. And I'm Naima Abdullahi. Embolden's mission and vision is to bring the Emma Bowen Foundation community together, and that means you. By giving listeners exclusive access to trailblazers and influential decision makers in the media industry. And this is episode three of the first season, and our special guest for today is Mr. Bob Apter, former senior vice president for finance and administration of ABC Sports and a member of the foundation during the inaugural year. Mr. Apter ensured the foundation got off to a solid start, helping to set it up for major success, and he will always be part of the Emma Bowen family. Wow. So today we're hearing from an important member of the Emma Bowen Foundation family. Uh, In all respect, this is an OG when it comes to Emma Bowen. So thank you for joining us, Mr. Apter. You're very welcome. So so you joined ABC just a a few decades ago. um, And then a year later, you moved over to the sports division. Before joining the network around 1968, did you envision a career in television? Well, I attended Boston University, the uh, School of Public Communications, it was then called. And I did get my degree in what was called broadcasting and film. So my intent was certainly to get into the broadcast industry. But if you remember, although you're all too young to remember, uh, 1968 was uh, very much of the Vietnam War time. And so I was either going to get drafted or I was going to get into graduate school. I actually got into graduate school for my MBA at St. John's, but for whatever reason, I decided I wasn't going to go to graduate school. I had had enough of four years of college. Mm-hmm. And so I lucked out uh, by getting a job at ABC, which is in somewhat of an interesting story. And on my first day at ABC on 66th Street, I, at lunchtime, I walked out and went to the left, and I noticed there was a National Guard armory there. And I would uh, walk in there and leave my name, hoping that maybe I'd get in before I got drafted. And so as the story goes, I always say that ABC Sports saved my life because within six weeks, I was inducted into that National Guard unit. And after working at ABC for just a few months, went on to my active duty, then came out about the 1st of April and rejoined ABC. So... I started as a clerk typist at with a college degree, making $85, but I guess $85 went a little bit further in 1968 than it would now. Hmm. And I wondered, and I'm sure my parents wondered, why did we just send you to college for four years to graduate and be a clerk typist? But obviously it did pay off, you know, as the years went by. So, yeah, I always wanted to get into broadcasting. I mean, sports has always been a first love. I was born in the Bronx, so I have Yankee blood in me. But I never knew how my career would actually go. I I never could have predicted what would have happened. And I count my blessings every day. And getting into the industry in 68, like you mentioned, with the Vietnam War, you know, there was also the civil rights movement. I believe 68 is the year that we also tragically lost Dr. King. How is it like being in television when there were so many pivotal moments that were shifting the nation as we knew it? Uh, Dr. King was killed, unfortunately, while I was still in my senior year up in Boston. Mm -hmm. And I still have pretty uh, strong memories about about what transpired in Boston as well as the rest of the country. 
Then I graduated in May and, you know, June 4th, I know, uh, was the day that Robert Kennedy was shot. And it, it just was like, sort of reminds me of 2020. It was just, you know, a year to remember or to forget. Um, and I don't know. I mean, you know, that's a good question. And that's about the best way I think I can answer it. Mm-hmm. What would you say is your proudest moment in your career? Um, as you reflect on, um, as you reflect on your successful career, what are some of your proudest moments? That's a really difficult question for me to answer. Mm-hmm. I had so many proud moments. I mean, I don't know. I, I think my proudest moment is knowing how many young people I think I helped start and continue with their careers, some of whom are graduates of the Emma Bowen Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm really proud about that. And I'm proud of the fact that I always said if I was going to get a vanity license plate, it would say integrity. Because to me, that was the most important thing that I could stand for. And I'd like to believe that integrity was with me every day of my career. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a great segue. So moving, moving, pivoting to the Emma Bowen Foundation, how did you get involved with the foundation? And did you get to meet uh, Emma Bowen herself? And if so, do you have any memories of her? Well, I'll answer the second question first. No, I never met Emma Bowen. Mm-hmm. And I have to confess, I didn't know who she was mm-hmm. until Dennis Swanson, who was the president of ABC Sports and who I was working for at that point, uh, was asked to become the chairman of the Emma Bowen Foundation by Dan Burke. Dan Burke was the chief operating officer of Capital Cities ABC. And for those of you who may or may not know, knew Mrs. Bowen and gave her $50,000 of his personal money, not corporate money, to help establish the foundation. And Dennis became the first chairman of the foundation and very quickly after he became the chairman asked me if I would join the board, which was a great honor for him to ask me and a great honor for me to join. So again, I've I've been with the foundation literally since it started. And then when Dr. Everett Parker, who was also one of the founders of the foundation, He was the first treasurer, and at some point he decided to step down, and Dennis Swanson once again asked me if I would become the treasurer, and gosh, I've been it for, I guess, 25 years already, and so I guess I haven't done too bad a job because we're still not broke. (laughs) No, that's that's, that's, that's so true, and obviously it it takes so much to to start a foundation. What do you feel like has been the biggest uh, reason why you've been able to ensure that the foundation's able to last all these years? Well, I can't take any credit for it. I mean, it's to a credit of all of our corporate partners and other individuals who may have contributed to the success of the foundation over the years. Without our corporate partners paying their corporate dues and without their dedication to taking care of the interns with, you know, summer jobs and some of the interns even work during their breaks and the matching funds and 
the scholarship monies that we've been able to give out, you know, that's what's made the foundation successful. And I'm happy to say that the foundation is financially successful to this very day. And, you know, the big thing the foundation has done is to have a commitment to diversity um, in the television industry. With the success that we've seen in achieving that over the last few decades, what more work do you believe is still left to be done, especially in today's society right now where, you know, diversity is on top of everyone's mind? Yeah, with as much progress as we made, we're still in the first or second inning of this nine-inning ball game, And, you know, unfortunately, recent events have just made that even more evident to everybody. No matter what race you are, you know that we have uh, not done a very good job for every minority that exists in this country. And I, I think that maybe recent events will have been a better and more successful awakening than the one we thought we had in 1968, than the one we thought we had when the Civil Rights Bill was passed, when we thought the Emancipation Proclamation really meant a radical change, a final change for the black people in America. And you know, we still have so far to go. It's just, that's one of the reasons why I am so dedicated to the Emma Bowen Foundation. I will never know what it means to be a minority, but I like to think that every day I try to make it a little bit better for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things we talked with Phyllis Eagle Olson, who was president for so long, she talked about her her privilege as a white woman, especially being a part of a foundation that helped students of color. And she shared anecdotes about being out to dinners and where the other foundation staff weren't being served. But when she walked in, all of a sudden people jumped up and she knew going into certain meetings, you know, she was just getting a different reception than others were. So I'm just curious over the years, how do you feel like you've been able to navigate different spaces and in, in helping, whether it's been Emma Bowen or just other people that you've helped along the way? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I've never felt uncomfortable. I've always felt like everybody deserves an equal chance. Uh, I've been blown away when I've gone to certain programs at the summer conference you know, one of the women who I absolutely thought the world of, one of many women, was Reese Booker, who just passed away, mm. who, you know, has been to many summer, had been to many summer conferences. I, I sat through, I know, at least one of her presentations, and it, it just blew me away. And, you know, I will never know how it feels uh, although religiously I'm in a minority, but, you know, I just can't know, never will know what it's like to be an African-American or any other minority in the world. So is it white privilege? Sure, it's white privilege. Um, but I don't know. Uh, 
I just hope that we can uh, take some giant steps in the near future and just continue on that path. And what advice do you give to anyone pursuing a career in television? What character you talked about integrity? What characteristics stand out to you as you try to look for who the next generation of leaders in the television industry will be? That's uh, interesting. Both my sons are in the industry. But the one thing I told them, they graduated in 95 and 99, I think, 96 and 99. And I told them, don't go work for a network. And of course, a network in those days meant ABC, NBC, or CBS, and Fox, because I felt that it was a dying business. And to some extent, it has, hasn't died, but it certainly diminished in what the values of it were. In, in the days when I joined in you know the late 60s I mean you know we we didn't have cable we didn't have streaming we didn't have anything that we have these days and what what recommendation would I make always admit when you make a mistake don't try to cover it up because uh, it's funny, doesn't it sound like I'm talking about Washington, D.C. I was right about now. to say, I mean, there's um, a lot of people that can take that advice right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's true. The cover-up is always worse than the truth. Oh, always. And, yep. And Tom Murphy, who is the CEO of Cap Cities ABC, always said, if you make a mistake, just tell us. Everybody's entitled to make an honest mistake. If you make a mistake and you deny it, you're going to get fired. You can only make an honest mistake. We will not, no one will be penalized for an honest mistake if you admit it. If you try to cover it up, if you don't admit it, then you don't have the integrity that you ought to have to be working in whatever company you're working in. It sounds like you had the foresight, even in the late 90s with your with your sons and saying, don't go work for a network. So I'm just curious, I mean, for the next, the future 20 years, right? I mean, we're moving into tech. I know Emma Bowen, the foundation has opened up. It's more than just broadcast TV. And now they're covering tech and business and whatnot. But if you were to tell, you know, graduates of the next, over the next 10 years, where they should be looking into, what would you tell them? Well, I'd start with cybersecurity. But after that, since that's not 100% in the industry that we're talking about. I mean, I think right now there are limitless uh, opportunities out there. I mean, the streaming services, everything in the world is digital now. The world is, is just completely changed in the last 10 years, I guess. I don't remember when cell phones first came in, but I do remember when I had, I was taking a vacation uh, when I was still at ABC Sports and my wife and I were going to be in Europe. And the then president of ABC Sports asked me if I would take a cell phone with me in case they needed to get to me. And I swear, I think the thing must have weighed 20 pounds. It was humongous. <laughs> and the best news was that I couldn't get it to work in Europe. So I politely called and said, look, you're going to have to call me in a hotel if you want to get me because mm -hmm. I can't figure out how to make this thing work. I think there's limitless opportunities right now because the industry just it's growing quantitatively and you know there's just so many more permutations on broadcasting now 
that, again, I, I think it's probably a, a good time to get into the business once we get past this COVID situation, which I'm afraid is going to be with us for a lot longer than we thought. And I read about that, you know, transformation of the industry in Bob Iger's book, um, The Ride of a Lifetime. Right. He was describing, you know, just how much the industry has transformed. Did you work closely with him? I know he was with ABC maybe around the same time that you were. Maybe I should have listed this as my proudest, you know, achievement in my career. Hmm. Bob Iger worked for me. Amazing. <laughs> so... Yeah, and we were very good friends. We still are. We communicate, although most of it's on email because I know he doesn't have time for much else, especially in these current circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I think his book was fantastic, not because he had my name in there at the very end, but <laughs> even before that. In fact, I will tell you that my son actually bought, I think, nine or ten copies of it to give to everyone in his working group at the company that he works for because it was it's like a textbook mm -hmm. for the broadcast industry and for the kind of person that you should be because you'll succeed if you are that kind of person bob's an amazing individual um and you know didn't start at abc sports but came into abc sports and just you know he was like a rocket ship and He's done an amazing job at Disney. We know, you know, uh, coming out of college, how you, you mentioned ABC saved your life in many ways. But and we, we talked about a lot of the successes. But what, what about some of the roadblocks you face? What were some of the challenges along along your path? Challenges? Well, I, you know, I was there in the late 60s and the 70s. ABC Sports would not pass the smell test for these days. We weren't diverse. There were very, very few women in any position other than what was then called a secretarial position. Mm -hmm. I remember when we brought on our first African-American production assistant. I remember the difficulties that he had going to events because of the way he was treated. He went to an auto race, sort of ironic that we're talking about auto racing with NASCAR in the news so much these days. He went to an auto race and by one of the most famous automobile drivers ever, it was called the N-word. It was a whole different world. Women were treated horrendously. I, I, I didn't like that atmosphere. It just was not the kind of place that we turned into, I would say, starting in the mid-1980s when we opened up and started to reflect the rest of the world, the rest of our country. And there were people of color and women in very high and responsible positions in both production and management. And we really transformed ABC Sports into what it ultimately was, not to sound corny, but as the leader in sports programming recognized throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, ABC Sports's era came to an end. It wasn't a great surprise to me when, you know, ESPN became as big as they were and as profitable as they were due to cable industry having two sources of revenue and 
broadcast, you know, only having advertising as their source of revenue. And when I left in January of 2004, I knew the handwriting was on the wall. And I guess it took another couple of years and then there was no more ABC Sports. The biggest skill set I've read from so many media influential people in the industry is adaptation is a skill set that you also have to have because the industry changes so rapidly. Tell us how you, over the years, were always willing to adapt to change, embrace it, and excel in it. Especially you know, with the cell phone that you, with the cell phone situation you brought up, that you know, that was a transformational point too. Yeah, well, it's funny when I joined in '68, it was ABC, and then like ten years later, we were bought by Cap Cities, so we were Cap Cities ABC. And then 10 years later, Disney bought Cap City's ABC. So I, maybe that's why I didn't hang around until 2006. I was going to figure out who was going to buy us then. Um, you have to adapt to change because otherwise the world's going to pass you by. It's that simple. I remember I was the first one in ABC Sports to have a computer in their office. Wow. And I, re- I remember self-teaching myself Excel and Word I was never very good at PowerPoint. I don't think it was out at that point. Although I don't think it was called Excel then either. I don't know. don't remember. I also remember that in those days, you had to save your document every few minutes because one night I was working in the office and we lost power in the building and I had not saved that gigantic spreadsheet. Mm. So I won't tell you what I said, but I had to start (laughs) all over. No, you just have to adapt to change. I mean, and especially now, change is happening so fast mm-hmm. because otherwise the world will leave you behind. Yeah, uh, couldn't be truer right there. And you talked about being happy, actually, you weren't in production and you rose all the way to SVP of finance and administration for ABC Sports. And just seeing how things have changed, as Naima mentioned, it does feel like we're in a reckoning right now. We're, we're in a position, we're at a time where companies feel as though they actually have to be on the right side of history, right? I think in a few years, a question a lot of uh, Candace may ask is, how did you address, you know, the racial tensions and what was your response to things? But I'm just curious from what you've seen from where we've came from to where we're at now, what areas within the industry would you want to change even more? Well, I want to see more Emma Bowen graduates on <laughs> any channel that I watch. Yeah. Because every time I watch and I see one, I, I think my heart starts to flutter. Well, that's a metaphor, but I just think it's so great. Every time I see, you know, Gio Benitez, I, you know, and any of the other grads, Gio just stands out because he's on ABC. And for whatever reason, I still watch ABC News at 630. <laughs> but, but it just incredible the success of the Emma Bowen graduates. I just want to see more graduates of Emma Bowen. I want to see television and streaming and the movies and every other media product reflect the United States of America's population more than it does today. And it's come a long way especially in commercials where you see interracial families and biracial children. These are things, to be very honest with you, I never thought I would see, you know. 
I, I grew up in the Bronx. We were mostly, I would say, Irish and Jewish kids. I don't believe there was an African-American child in my elementary school. I know that I could count the African-American students in my junior high school on one hand. And I did go to the Bronx High School of Science. And there, I think maybe I could have counted the African-American students on two hands. Thank you so much for telling us so many memories of you noticing the division and the racial division and noticing classmates. At what age did you realize like, wow, I have a different life experience than so-and-so who may take the same class as me or so-and-so who may live a few blocks away from me, you know? Wow. That is, that is the million-dollar question. And I'm going to give you probably an answer that I should be embarrassed about, mm-hmm. which I may say, uh, I think the right answer is going to be almost when I was an adult, when I was an adult. Mm-hmm. And I might not have realized it until then. And for that, I, I maybe I should, I don't know, maybe I should be embarrassed for it. I don't really know. I have to tell you, I mean, there were really no minority kids as when I was a kid uh, in the neighborhood that I grew up. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in the Bronx. And certainly the Bronx was a rather diverse area. But where I grew up, it was, I, I, honest to goodness, don't know if there was an African-American peer mm-hmm. in the neighborhood uh, or, a his, or a Hispanic. Looks a little bit different now. Yeah, and it's true. <laughs> you know, I live in Westchester, mm-hmm. and I love the fact that in my cul-de-sac, we have four parents, uh, four of the parents in two of the houses are doctors of Indian descent. Mm -hmm. And across the street, I have an Asian neighbor. And then I have other white neighbors. And my neighborhood is becoming more and more diverse. And it's every group. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Because it's great that my grandchildren, who live in a different town, they don't see color. And gosh, I sure as hell hope that that will be the way of the future that, for yeah. this, the rest of this country. That realization that you had is similar to what David Letterman said when he did a recent interview with uh, Congressman John Lewis. Letterman said, as he reflected on his 20s and 30s, he said he there was a lot going on in the nation, but at the same time, he was far removed because of his personal individual neighborhood where he didn't come to that realization until his later years. So that's definitely something uh, Letterman reflected on with John Lewis, and it really showed me a different perspective. So I definitely appreciate your honesty with that. Can you imagine how lucky David Letterman is to know that he actually said the same thing that I said? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm being facetious there. (laughs) No, it's true. I mean, you know, it's true. And uh, it's just, it's great. You know, the African community needs the mobility that so many other groups have been given the opportunity and took advantage of it. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so wonderful about the Emma Bowen Foundation, because I think it's 
giving an opportunity to more and more students. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the right term, and I hope I'm not offending anybody, but to break out and to get into the world that they've been prevented from being able to break out into. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the great things about the Bone Foundation is it allowed the world to see what a lot of people already knew. Once you give, whether it's black, brown, Asian, or just non when you give non-white students an opportunity to show to get an opportunity to show what they have they can prove that right. they can keep up with and and even surpass and do and, and just do the great work that everyone else can do you know and i think from from when you started at abc even to now you mentioned we've made so much strides in the world and in cable tv tv and whatnot and and moving forward i think one of the things is is it's equally as important even and I know you, you know what you meant when you mentioned, you know, they don't see color. But I even think it's actually super important to be able to see color, acknowledge it and understand that they're just things that this world has that make people different. But in spite of it, these are people that are just as capable of different things and they can succeed mm-hmm. in life. And I think that's the beautiful thing that the Emma Bowen Foundation yeah. was able to I, propel I, so many people to do. I actually think I, I need to, ch- you pointed out something that I need to correct, and you're right. It, they do see color, but they know that everybody's the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right, and I, I thank you for pointing that out. As you reflect on the many different advices you give all the time, what do you think are the keys to success? We've been naming the little nuggets throughout the conversation, but as we kind of try to come up with top five, top 10, what do you think are the keys to success that someone must possess? Well, the first thing I would say is if I was in the Emma Boa Foundation, I would have been kicked out because I couldn't keep up the grade (laughs) point index that you guys have to keep up. Uh, uh, So lucky, I guess, um, you know, I I hope I'm not saying things I shouldn't say, but maybe that was the white privilege I had. I don't no, know. No, I mean that's that's, that's that's just the truth, right? I mean, we we there's so yeah. many examples. I mean, I think I don't know. Brian Williams is the best example. I'm pretty sure he never graduated college. I mean, there's so many examples back in the day of you know people having you know. Once again, it's all about opportunity, and I think Emma Bowen. The reality is, as a young black person in America, we're not given grace, right? We're seeing so many things happen in the news. We just seen video of this young man, Elijah McClain. He was walking home dancing with a hoodie on because he had, you know, uh, you know, just different things going on. He's listening to music. He didn't have the grace to be able to listen to music. He was anemic, so he had a hood on and, and or a ski mask, you know. And I think as much as Emma Bowen Foundation would like to take students that maybe their grades weren't as great, you know, because we have that slim margin of like, okay, once we get this student in an ABC and an NBC, we have to make sure they do well so we could have five more. So I think to that point, that's that's like the reason. And I hope, you know, I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure as things have evolved, I mean, it's been a few years since Naeem and I have been in Emma Bowen Foundation, but I think things have opened up a bit more. But it even goes to show you why the Emma Bowen students are so excellent, because we have to kind of achieve from so early. Obviously, that's just super important. Yeah. And, you know, well, I never thought I would even talk about all these things. And I'm going to about to say, (laughs) I mean, I live in, you know, I live in the New York area. I grew up in the Bronx. That's part of New York City. Anyone who thinks that schools are really integrated is in a dream world. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. 
the schools in, and I don't know if it's across the country or not, but there is still, it's not called segregation, but it is segregation. Mm-hmm. And, and we haven't integrated our schools. And it's just, it's criminal. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the solution for it. Because uh, I don't, you know, I mean, in Westchester County, you know, they started busing years and years ago. And, you know, I, I just don't have the answer for it, but we got to figure it out. And I think what the foundation does is it sets up people like us to one day be in executive or management or leadership positions so that we can continue that legacy of affecting change at the right areas it's needed. Yes, but I'm going to add a responsibility that you also have, mm-hmm. and that is to assist your acquaintances or your people in your neighborhood mm-hmm. to assist them so that they have a greater desire to achieve. And I hope I'm not saying things in the wrong way, and I think you understand what I'm yeah. saying. That makes sense. I mean, I know when the students introduce themselves at our board meetings, some of the comments that some of the students make just, I mean, I, I know we all well up. Uh, te- uh, we, we get tears in our eyes because <laughs> the Emma Bowen Foundation has saved lives, mm-hmm. has turned people, helped them turn the corner. And I will tell you a little true anecdote uh, about a student that we had at ABC Sports who was probably maybe the third or fourth student from the foundation who lived in Manhattan in an African-American neighborhood and was turned upon by his peers because he joined the Emma Bowen Foundation. And we could not convince him to weather the storm. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's pressure on some of you, you know, hopefully not, or maybe it's less these days, hopefully, from peers who just think that, you know, you've in a way sold yourself out by joining this foundation, which fortunately, even the board now looks more diverse than it did at the beginning. I don't know. The foundation has done some great things, got to continue to do great things. And, you know, there have been some wonderful chair people involved. Phyllis was amazing. Uh-huh. Rasan took us to a new level. Uh-huh. Nikki's filling in for us now. And whoever the search committee comes up with, I'm sure will take us to Emma Bowen 3.0. You know, Rasan took us to 2.0. Uh-huh. You know, uh, the the students have had great people to support them and still has great people to support them. And we love hearing from the alums and from the students every time you talk, because you make us really just feel a little bit taller than we were when we walked in the room. And the foundation definitely saved my life too. I remember when I graduated from the foundation, Dennis Swanson was mentoring me. And right when Fox bought the Charlotte station, he called me. It was an unknown number, of course. Uh, A number did not pop up on my phone. I picked up the unknown call 
And he said, look, we just bought a new station in Charlotte. Would you be interested in being a reporter at this station? And I was still in college at the time, but he took a chance on me. Fortunately, I delivered and didn't make any mistakes on air when I was there. But it wasn't for him. I would have never known I could rise to the occasion and to realize your potential and to know that you can deliver is the confidence the foundation gives you. Although I didn't think I was ready for a top 22 market because he believed in me, I felt better and at ease knowing that I could, I could definitely exceed my own expectations at the time. Uh, that's great. You know, Dennis is an amazing judge of character. Mm-hmm. And I thank him a lot for that because he really moved my career along and obviously helped you and He has a photographic memory, so he remembers everybody that he meets. Mm -hmm. And if you impress him, he'll he'll knock down a wall for you. Definitely. And we do appreciate everything you have done and continue to do for the foundation. You've made a tremendous difference for the foundation. And I don't know if you ever sit and reflect on how much you have done and continue to do, but we really appreciate it. And I just wanted to directly say that to you. Well, thank you very much. And I hope you don't demand that there's a mandatory retirement age because I'm getting on in years. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. Okay. And you know what? I really enjoyed this, I hope, as much as you have, because it, it's sort of, it's like reading the book over again, reliving the 31 years of the Emma Bowen Foundation again. Yeah. And I hope those people who listen to this podcast can get a sense of how devoted we all are to it. Yeah. And for, for me, at least, like it, it's like I'm just opening the book because hearing stories from, from yourself and, and Phyllis and Sandra in our first three episodes, I'm, I'm learning about who Emma Bowen was and what, what it took to get this foundation started. I mean, what the landscape, I mean, you could read books to learn about mm-hmm. so much of this, but to hear your perspective of what the media landscape was in 68 and what the newsroom looks like and some of the experience that some of the first black employees even had at ABC Sports is it's just like listening to, you know, a grandparent really talk about where they've been and what they've experienced. So I, even the word integrity is going to probably stick with me because you spoke so so much about it. So I definitely appreciate the words. And I definitely know that people who are listening, they're going to listen to this are going to also be able to get so much from it because as you continue to move forward, you have to obviously know where you come from. And I think it's super important to understand where the foundation started from and where it's going. So uh, I also want to thank you as well. You're very welcome. I enjoyed this very much. 